Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week seven of the Big East Barroom, sponsored by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout for $20 off your first order at SeatGeek. Get yourself some last-minute Christmas gifts or, you know, the worst feeling, you forgot a Christmas gift. You know you're going to see that person coming up. They're going to have a gift for you. Buy them some tickets. Figure out what's going on. Uh, I'm Tyler. I am here on Christmas Eve with my lovely brother Ryan, who is playing a little hurt today. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great, Ty. Thank you. Uh, you don't need to introduce yourself. Everybody knows who you are. and Everybody uh, knows who I am. That's incredible. Well, if they're listening to this podcast, they already know who you are. They already know you, so you don't have to introduce yourself. But it was a great week of Big East basketball. It was our first week of Big East conference basketball. And then we have a week off, which is super lame. But we get to talk about a whole week of Big East basketball before we have to go through that. This was a tease of a week. We get in there, we get some games, get um little rivalries, get some upsets, and then they say we're shutting it down. Reminds me of COVID. We are going to talk about the 11 teams today. Um, we are going to save the Providence Friars for last, our team of the week, where we are joined by a special, special guest. I hope you have a ticket for that. From SeatGeek, using the code BEBR, Ryan, that's called a segue. All right, Tyler, as we agreed before the start of this podcast, we are going to be going in order of the best Santa at a holiday party to the worst for Big East coaches. So if we got, if we're starting with the best, it's an easy pick for me, number one. I'm going with Coach Greg McDermott, who has – Santa vibes written all over him. You throw a beard on him, and I'm not sure there's any difference. So let's put three minutes on the clock, and let's talk your Creighton Blue Jays. Creighton loses the only game they play this week. They are one of the only home teams. They are the only home team to lose this week because I'm no longer counting DePaul. Um, They lost 68-66 to to Villanova. Eric Dixon sees um, Creighton and decides that he is going to go to the NBA every single time. I thought Creighton played pretty well, actually, in this game. Um, they didn't shoot incredibly well. That was, you know, 39% from the field. But, um, yeah, I, I, it's, you can't really drop home games in the Big East right now. Creighton's going to drop quite a few in the rankings. Yeah, I mean, there's no yeah, – that's not a hot take. They, they have to drop in the rankings. Uh, the situation with Eric Dixon is just – Bizarre. Really interesting. Um, and Ryan Cooperator made a nice point at the end of the game. He said in the biggest tournament, we actually beat them. And I limited Eric Dixon pretty well last year in the biggest tournament. But in the regular season, he had lit me up and I let him light me up again. I'm not concerned about Eric Dixon shooting threes. Why I'm concerned about Eric Dixon exposing Ryan Cooperator in a post. It's the same thing as the big guy at UNLV had just done. Follow did last year. Yeah, that's much more of a significant concern for me. Uh, 
I think Greg McDermott's just fine living and dying by letting Eric Dixon shoot threes. Yeah, um, I agree, except he's died with it a few times now. Um, yeah, I, I do think there are some conversations about Trey Alexander shooting again. Um, you know, he shoots 6 of 15, which um, quick math is 40%. Um, not terrible, but would like him to be a little more efficient. Um, but like I said, I thought they played, I thought they played a pretty good game. I thought this was maybe the best game of the week. Um, Trey goes for 16 and 15 and Shireman goes for 16 and 11. You need more from Steven Ashworth. Um, we need to start having conversations about the point guard play at Creighton. Um, or Trey's going to just need to take it on full time because Steven Ashworth was brought in to kind of, and we thought maybe he complimented this team a little better than Ryan Nemhart. And there are growing pains when you come to the biggies, especially from, uh, you know, where he was before at Utah State. So let's see what he's got. Um, biggies play. I'm not willing to give up on it yet, but we need to see a little bit more from Ashworth at this point, in my opinion. Yeah, I think he's a he's limited defensively just due to his stature. And we thought he would make up for that with a tremendous shooting, which he showed in the Mountain West Conference last year. He has not been tremendous at shooting the ball so far this year, which just exposes his defense even more. Um, but the problems go deeper than that, and it's not just Stephen Ashworth. And this whole Creighton team is, uh, you know, there's real questions about how good this offense really is because although we look at it and say these pieces are fantastic, they just haven't played at that level yeah. more than one or two games this year. Yeah, they're definitely missing Kaluma and Nemhart in terms of their offensive threat ability. Um, I have faith in McDermott, though, the Santa Claus, to get it done. He'd make a great Santa Claus. Eh, yeah, I mean, I think just because of his stature, he's got a warm kind of grandfather feel to him, um, which is what I like my Santa Clauses to feel. All right, Ry, Um, I'll go with the coach that actually dressed up as Santa Claus this week. Um, I know this probably happened before. But um, we were alerted to it, and they had an interesting week, and that's the UConn Huskies and Danny Hurley. Um, UConn goes one and one this week, losing at the Prudential Center to Seton Hall, and then winning against St. John's at the XL Center. So, I mean, beginning and end of this conversation start with Donovan Klingon's foot. I think it's a cop out for us to say that the only the only reason they lost to Seton Hall is because they didn't have Donovan Klingon. They only lost to or struggled with St. John's because they didn't have Donovan Klingon. I think the problems are more significant than that. And uh, UConn offensively is able to be thrown out of their rhythm when they're met with physicality. We saw it against Kansas, who had their ball pressure ramped up to like an all-time high. And, of course, playing at Fog House, uh, Field House, at yeah. home with that crowd, you know, you get going defensively a little bit more. Um, but, you know, that's really what we saw Seton Hall do this week is they were just very physical. We talked about the Big East refs are not calling a lot. And UConn is a very skilled team, but they're not necessarily the strongest, biggest, toughest guys. Yeah, I think we saw this a little bit in the non-con, which is why I'm not as worried as you are. I thought Gonzaga really tried to pressure the ball. UNC tried to really pressure the ball. And UConn was able to expose some of that. Um, and, you know, when someone's pressing on you so hard you can then use some of your agility and go the other way with it and hit them with backdoor cuts and um they got open threes off of it too you know i am worried about uconn's ability against the zone um it, it i think a lot of what it's going to come down to in this is can castle break that zone he's the ultimate mismatch for uconn 
Um, and if he can get to that middle of the zone and shoot, we haven't seen that kid him be able to shoot at all um, in his freshman year. If he's able to be that guy who's supposed to be like the eighth pick in the draft and be that zone buster in the middle, I think UConn could be, you know, they'll get rid of that mismatch pretty quickly. Like they used Jackson in the middle last year. Um, I, I mean, the clinging injury is significant. I think if we're going to talk about um, the St. John's game, all the credit in the world to Samson Johnson and Yusuf Singer. I mean, that, Joel Soriano is, in, for my money, the best big in the Big East. I mean, we'll talk about when it gets to St. John's, but I thought Samson Johnson and Yusuf really just absolutely battled their asses off in that game. Yeah, and they were clearly at a disadvantage, but they didn't give up. And there was a lot of fighting and a lot of pushing. And if this was a non-conference game, there would have been a lot more fouls called. But in the Big East, they're letting them bang. And they kind of, you know, good for Samson and Yusuf to pick up on that and to, um, you know, just wrestle with him down there and make him earn everything he was going to get. Yeah, well, I think Samson and Yusuf outscored Joel Soriano. So if, you know, that's why UConn won that game. Um, Klingon got to come back and come back healthy. Feet issues for seven-footers is a big deal. Um, and I don't want to just sugarcoat that. Uh, he had an off-season foot issue. I don't know if it's the same issue, same foot. College basketball is really hard to uh, figure out the injuries we've found. Um, but, you know, for his future and for UConn's ceiling, he needs to come back healthy. Yeah, and for what I've said about their offense, I still think they're a top-10 team in the country. I still think they're one of the best teams in the Big East. I'm not suggesting that this is um, – you know, that they're less than what we think they are. I'm just pointing out that it is one of their weaknesses and it got exploited this week. Of course, I think that's fair. I mean, um, you know, you can't just, it's not all rose colored. Even UConn last year had, you know, they had huge problems defensively at times and offensively, especially with Andre Jackson. And they figured it out at the right time. So the mark of a great coach isn't how they do in December and January. It's how they do in March. And uh, I have faith that Hurley will figure it out. All right, for my next pick, for the most Santa-like, or who would be the best dressed-up Santa, I'm going to go Thad Maddow. Okay. First off, obviously, he looks like he's a little timeless. He's got a little bit of the white hair. Okay. I think I think he's a good pick here. I think he can make a good stand-in for Santa. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the warm vibe that you're looking for there, but uh, – and he's tall. He's a pretty tall guy. Um. Right, Butler went uh, one and one this week. They beat Georgetown by ten and lost to Providence by ten. Um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the Georgetown game? Do you want to talk about the Providence game? Where do you want to start with this? There's not much to say about the Georgetown game. Georgetown's really bad. Butler let them hang around a little bit more than they should have, but it was a pretty comfortable win. Um, yeah, Georgetown's not going to win a lot of games on the road, and Butler avoided disaster. By yeah. the Providence game was one of the best games of the, of the week. It was fantastic. Up and down. Um, man, I had tweets ready to go that Butler, you know, Butler, things they face. Their airplane, they don't get in until the morning um of the game. They go on a they go down 15 to nothing in this game. They're playing in the hardest, in my month for my money, the hardest place to win on the road in the big east. And they are if they foul up three, they probably win that game. Um, there are ticket games three away from, you know, winning. I know Butler fans are not into moral victories. You know, they're past that. This team's pretty good. What a moral victory, in my opinion, to just show that Butler's probably a top five team in the Big East, and it's not even, like, close anymore. Yeah, I mean, they were right there. DJ Davis, incredible. 
down the stretch. Yeah, Brooks, are you kidding me? DJ Davis hit what should have been the game winner, the little layup there, and then he gets the end one, hits the layup to put him up three with 30 seconds to go. And then, of course, we all know what happens when you give Ticket Gaines a chance to to score the ball in, in a big moment. But, um, yeah, seems a lot of fun to watch. I went down big early, and we thought it was going to be a route, and we were like, oh, maybe this Butler team is on fraud alert. But they're not. They're not at all. They, they're tough. They're mature. They're older team. And you can tell that these guys, I, you know, I almost get the feeling like they're looking around like, oh, shit, like, we we might have something here. You know what I mean? I mean, just let's talk about just how different the vibe is from last year. I mean, if this team went down 15 nothing last year, they might have lost by 50, especially at the amp. Um, to go down 15 nothing and just get punched in the mouth, and they were right back in it by halftime. Um, you know, I'm incredibly – I think you put hit it on the head, the maturity of this team. Um, Pierre Brooks is just an absolute leader. Jameel Telfer is an absolute leader. Pasha Alexander is an absolute leader. This team – is going to win so many games in the Big East this year. Everything I saw, they're going to get an at-large bid. Um, and I think also, if we're going to shout some people out, friend of the program, Mr. Landon Moore, coming off the bench, running the point at times for Posh, um, while Posh went and played a little off-ball, scores 14 points. This team's deep. They know who they are. They're confident in who they are. I'm so excited to watch this Butler team, which is a sentence I never in a million years would have thought I said, would say this year. Yeah, I just love I just love the fight. I really did. I thought that was so much fun and, and so different than what we saw last year and what we what you see from programs that are really struggling is when they're having a bad game, they let it get really bad and they didn't let that do they they didn't let it happen at all. Yeah, well. All right, right. My pick for the next Santa is a man who I believe to be um he's kind of like in my opinion kind of like teddy bear vibes, tall warm and that's Kyle Neptune um Villanova also had a good week so I think he's in a good mood he's got a little howl a little jowl um and he's and he's doing his thing out there so um Villanova Wildcats went two and oh this week they beat Creighton in a game we have briefly discussed and then they beat DePaul which good for them they avoided DePaul roulette um uh, Eric Dixon I mean that's that's just got to be the start of any conversation about Villanova right now. In all of their biggest wins, it's been Eric Dixon. And so I don't know how the conversation in that locker room is going anywhere, but every time out on the floor, we need Eric Dixon to get 15 shots up and touch the ball on you know every other possession, play through him. He's been tremendous. Yeah, I mean, I don't. He might – I mean, there's so many people who are throwing their hat in the player of the year conversations, but he's got to be right there. Um, this performance, the 32 points against Creighton, when none of his other starters had double digits um, in a game where they're playing on the road, the second game of the Big East season, or like third or fourth game in the Big East season, um, first game for both these teams. I mean, this is one of the best performances of the Big East this year. Um, against yeah. the defensive player of the year? Against the defensive player of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only thing you worry about is if Eric Dixon isn't on or if he gets in foul trouble or whatever and Justin Moore hasn't come back yet, where are you going for offense? Um, Tyler Burton has shown flashes. TJ Bomba's shown flashes. Longino's shown flashes. But obviously outside of Eric Dixon. Um, and Hakeem Hart played really well. I caution everyone that it's DePaul. Um, 
where are they going to go for that uh, for that scoring? Yeah, they talked a lot about how they need a leader um, when they were going through those really tough times with the Philly schools. I think Eric Dixon's taken on that role to some extent, but when he's not in there, you still feel like all the transfers are looking around like, you know, who is it? Who is it? Eric Dixon is doing everything he can to get this Villanova team into the NCAA tournament, though. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, we have no update on Justin Moore. Um, there were rumors that, that he'd be back for Big East play, and the fact that he's not – I think a lot of coaches are taking some things um, lightly when we have a week off of basketball coming up. So hopefully we get Justin Moore back. Then we'll see what the ceiling is for this team. Is this a second weekend tournament team, or is this a bubble team? Um, and they've shown the ability to be both. Um They've shown, you know, with losses to the big Philly schools. But this Creighton win is going to look really good. I think Creighton's going to find their mojo. And this Creighton win is just going to look better and better, um, especially on the road. I don't think many people are going into Omaha and winning games. Yes. Well, we should talk about it in the Creighton section. But supposedly not a great crowd, not a great uh, – that's what they're saying. Are you already on Omaha's, like, shit list because you decided to call their favorite food corner or something and you didn't know they had Omaha steaks? Yeah, I meant it though. So, oh wow, you're are we just going for are we a Creighton hater today, right? Nebraska corn was funny. If you did, have a sense of humor, Omaha. You don't know food. You don't know food. All right, that would be my pick for the fifth holliest, the fifth jolliest, the Holland Jol. You know, I like Tony Stubblefield. I think Tony Stubblefield's got some Santa vibes. I don't think Tony Stubblefield. Gives a flying. I don't think there's anything to be holly jolly about for Tony Stubblefield. He's always keeping a positive attitude. Get out of here. You know, like they talk about, like when you know you're going to die, like dead men walking, like how you just some of your worries go away. And maybe that's Tony Stubblefield. He's he's just he doesn't have a whole lot to be worried about. I don't think that he's going to be. I think he's going to be gone after this year, no matter what. And um, maybe he's come to terms with that, and he's we can bring some holly jolly. Or maybe he just has a full, well-rounded life tie. And, he, you know, basketball is not the only thing. And he's able to go home and, and be, uh, you know, a good Santa for his family. How about that? I, I do worry that if he has such a full and well-rounded life, he should pay a little more attention to basketball because this team is um terrible. They lost 84-48 to to um, Villanova at, at home. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, like it's getting to a point like it did last year where um, I don't know what to talk about other than like who the next coach is going to be because any conversation about the team like doesn't make sense. They shot 30% from the field, 16% from three. They were thoroughly out rebounded 45, 43 to 25. Um, they only assisted on five of their 17 made shots. They only made 17 shots in this game, right? I mean, yeah, I texted uh, in the group chat. I said, I don't think, DePaul is better at basketball in a single aspect than uh, Villanova. Not one aspect of the game. I think it, they got – it's not even the same sport out there right now. I'm they surprised the how bad their offense is. They won the turnover battle, 16-13. to 13, Huge. Well, they forced six, 16 turnovers? Yeah, it's forced 16 turnovers. I don't know. I mean, I didn't watch most of this game. Maybe they started pressing the walk-ons at the end. And they got a few turnovers. I don't know. I watched the whole game, and I only remember the ball turnovers. And Team Hart had a couple of forced turnovers. But, yeah, the offense is just terrible, and it has been terrible for a couple of weeks now. That Northwestern performance was was really gross. And, and, and this 
Like, they're not getting good looks. They're not converting their looks. They can't shoot the three ball. They can't make layups. And then you add to that, the defense has really not improved at all this season compared to last season. And this is worse than most mid-majors. Yes, they shot. Um, So if your offense wasn't impressive with shooting 16% from three, they allowed 53% from three for Villanova, including 53% from the field. Um, I Yeah, I don't really know what to say. Um, um, last year, this DePaul team I thought was fun at times. Amoja um, Gibson, Javon Johnson, Deshaun Nelson. Um, I would turn on a DePaul game and I'd be like, okay, they're keeping it close. Or I know DePaul's going to score 70 points. They might give up 90, but they're going to score 70. It's going to be an up and down game. You can't be losing games by 40 points in your Big East opener at home. I mean, this is, I want to say this is rock bottom, but I don't, you know, they keep finding new rock bottoms. Um, Stubbs is on his way out. Let's see what they decide to do. Um, because over I, under one and a half Big East wins. I had it over before this, and now I don't know what the hell to do. I think I'm gonna have to go under. I don't know. They could go 0 20. Um, I Georgetown plays a different type of basketball than they do, right? Like Georgetown, like they get up and down, they have like legitimate good offensive players, they have at least a defensive scheme. Like, there's nothing for DePaul. Like, there's there's nothing, and Georgetown, I think, is terrible. And they're that much better than DePaul, I think. Georgetown looks like they need to improve. DePaul looks like they need to blow it up. Yeah, and they're all transfers. Like, I mean, like, they're all talented transfers, too, so I don't really understand. How do all these talented transfers just stop making shots? Like, I understand, like, the defense has to have a team defensive scheme, all this scouting reports. At the end of the day, if you're a talented transfer, you'd think you'd be able to make a bucket. But you're not put in a situation to make you successful. That's the problem. You have to be put in a situation to make you successful. And unfortunately, what we've seen is that DePaul doesn't make players a whole lot better. Um, outside of maybe Emoja Gibson got a bigger role last year, and that's about it. Um, the Georgetown Hoyas are my next pick. Um, I think you have a coach out there who's going to be giving some advice, saying, hey, I want this – Christmas, you know, I want a gun for this Tommy gun for Christmas. And he's like, nah, you'll shoot your eye out. Um, and he's over there and he's got a little bit of, you know, unsolicited advice, but he's given it anyway. And that's Ed Cooley of the Georgetown Hoyas, who went 0-2 this week, losing at Hinkle to Butler and then losing against Marquette. I believe they just got Marquette at the wrong time after Marquette was pretty pissed off against their loss against Providence. Right. I think this segment's a lot happier and hollier and jollier than Tony Stubblefield's segment. What do you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think A. Cooley, they're about where he expected them to be. I think there's significant issues on the defensive end, but that's what you're expecting from a bunch of transfers and guys who have never played together and freshmen. Um, there's very few teams that have a first-year coach and a lot of transfers that are not having defensive issues. Kim English. How many transfers did he have? He has his own. He has his own two, and then he kept the rest of the Providence Friars. Ricky Gaines, Josh Doro. Those are his guys. They know the defense. Carter and Bryce Hopkins are transfers, Ryan. Anyhow, they weren't competitive in that Marquette game, and that's kind of a forgettable one. They're not going to win against Marquette at Marquette or UConn at UConn, if I had to bet, or Providence at Providence, or probably Creighton at Creighton, or yeah, so I agree. This one will be more fun than the other ones, I guess, but. It'll be really hard to win on the road for them. However, 
Butler game was competitive. They were in there. It wasn't a blowout. That's more than DePaul could say at home, and Georgetown was on the road at Hinkle. Yeah. Hey, listen, they got some pieces. I really like Dante Styles. Um, I think he is he's got the right. I think he's gonna be really good in the Big East eventually. Um, Jaden Epps, I'm always interested. He's kind of an enigma to me. Um, sometimes it's Chuck and Duck, or and sometimes it's you know, really within the flow of the offense, and he's their best, you know, person. Supreme Cook plays like his hair's on fire sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I I get what they're doing with the top 10 recruiting class in the country coming in next year. This Georgetown Hoya, you at least see the vision. Um, listen, will it be good enough to be competitive in the a really good Big East in the future? I don't know. But, you know, I see what's going on. I would like to, you know, have seen more progress this year. I'm I'm kind of against what you're saying with a bunch of transfers. Um, and being competitive, in my opinion, it's easier to win with transfers if you're a first-year head coach because your guys are being brought in. It's not a bunch of holdovers and getting them to buy into what you're doing. They theoretically should have already bought into what you're doing. And when you come over to the team, um, you should be in a really good spot. I don't know. I, I love um, aspects of this team, but otherwise I'm just kind of – it's been underwhelming, but it hasn't been to the point of like I'm worried about the future. I don't know. I think what we see over and over in college basketball is it takes more time to teach the defense than the offense. So you need guys in the program for multiple years or have been playing college basketball for multiple years to really understand the defensive schemes and necessities versus the offense. These guys have, you know, in high school, they all played primarily offense. They didn't do much on the defensive end because they didn't need to because they were better than everybody else on the floor by far. Yeah, just your athleticism in high school defensively, you're going to get, you know, Later when we have Ticket on, he talks about how you get you can get 13 steals by being the best. He was like, I was just the best player in high school. Um, and it was like, yeah, your athleticism really carries you. You can get blocks um, and get out in transition. So, hey, listen, Georgetown's going to win four or five Big East games this year, and that's going to be a – you're going to be trending in the right direction from where you've been. Now we're moving to guys who, who aren't very much like Santa, right? No Santa-ness. And I'm going to go here. I'm going to go Shaheen Holloway because he's the – not because I don't love him. I think he's a great coach, but he is so critical in a way that I don't think Santa would really, you know, like Shaheen Hollywood will tell you exactly how bad you were this year, why you're getting cold, why you get no presents. Like he'll tell you straight to your face. Yeah. And, uh, you know, listen to the way he talks about his team, let alone. Did you see the tweet I put out from his inside the huddle? No. He's pointing right at one of the guys. He's like, you're not guarding anyone. No, no, you're not guarding anyone. I mean, spot the lie. Was that guy guarding someone? I have no idea. You couldn't see who it was because he was off the screen. But, yeah, he's a um, very honest coach. I love it. I think he's going to be great in the uh, Big East long term. And he gets a big win this week. Yeah, I mean, listen, that win against UConn, um, can't even say that Donovan Klingon, they did a really nice job. Donovan Klingon played a lot of that game. I thought, you know, Kadari Richmond showed why he – was like a four-star recruit. Um, this the guy can absolutely just get downhill and do whatever he wants. Um, against smaller point guards, against point guards that are bigger than him, he can kind of go around. I mean, this this Seton Hall team is going to be a weird team this year, and this is why I had him on the bubble. And then they prove literally the next game why they shouldn't be on the bubble, and they lose by twenty to Xavier, who I think Xavier's pretty bad. Um, I don't want to keep saying they're bad. I just don't think Xavier's as good as they were last year. But yeah, I think that's hard to argue. Yes, yeah, for me, it's the defense is. It's a work in progress, and I think that it's been improving over the course of the year. I think when they played UConn, it was the best we had seen all season. They were connected. They run uh, the hard hedge 
defensive scheme, which is what Hurley used to run with Isaiah Whaley, which requires a lot of help or cover to your man tagging guys. Um, so it requires a lot of communication on the defensive end. I thought they were excellent against UConn and uh, not as good against Xavier. Guys got lost. Quincy Oliveri got lost a lot and put up 29 points. Yeah. And that's going to tell you. I think one of the big positives that's come out of the season so far is going into the season, you had three big guys. Um, you weren't sure who was going to be the, you know, take the leap. And I think Betty Aku has grabbed that by the horns. I mean, guy got a double double um, against a, Big UConn front court or 13 to nine. It was really close. Hey, listen, this Seton Hall team's tough as they come. Um, I think they're going to win a lot of games at home. And I think they're going to go on the road and they're going to beat some teams. I don't know. I mean, we're talking about that front court of Dawes or backcourt of Dawes and Richmond with a Dayawusu. This is a lot of people who have done it in the Big East before. Um, and they know it's expected night in and night out. They're not going to be caught off guard by anyone. Didn't Bidiaco gives me a little bit of Ike Obiagu vibes. What do you think? Um, didn't Ike Obiagu like block everything? Yeah. Yeah, no. no Bidiaco's not as good of a, a shot blocker, but he's massive. He's not the most skilled player, but he's going to play hard. He's going to rebound well. He's very physical. Yeah. Great. Um, great motor for Bidiaco. Um, So, hey, listen, this Seton Hall team, I, I said they would be near the bubble. And now I'm saying probably not, but. I went the last three games they've played, they beat a Missouri team. Um, they beat UConn and they've lost to Xavier. If they could have, you know, kept that Xavier game a little closer, their stock would be by now, by now, by now, trending up. Yeah, and I don't think they've played themselves off the bubble yet. We're just projecting what oh. we're seeing from them. All right, right. My next Santa is a drunk Santa, um, who has the beard on and is as you know, a little ho ho ho, but he's uh got took a little too much eggnog to the face, and that's my friend Rick Patino, um, of the St. John's Red Storm, who went one and one this week. A really impressive win, I thought, at Carneseca against Xavier, um, in a game they were only favored by five points to win. Um, and then I thought they played really well against UConn. I was baffled by some things against UConn, but I think we should start with Xavier. Um, I just like to say, there's no way Rick Pitino is playing Santa at his family's holiday party. Yes, he is. That's where well, you mess. Rick you miss. is hiring somebody, and he's sitting at the table drinking wine and eating, you know, prosciutto. He's had too much eggnog, and he is letting the like all the grandkids are around, and he's had too much eggnog, and they're like, and eventually he like pulls off his beard and goes, "Hi, I got you guys," and you know, so. Anyway, St. John's 81 to 66 win against um Xavier. Again, conversations around St. John's revolve around Joel Soriano, Joel Soriano, Joel Soriano. Guy's an absolute beast. Um, we'll talk about Xavier in a minute, but they're gonna struggle with big men. And I thought Joel Soriano kind of took advantage of that matchup with 18 and 14. Um Yeah, he was tremendous against Xavier. And then obviously the Yukon game had just happened yesterday. And uh, he wasn't that good, and they still managed to go right down the wire against the defending national champions on the road at UConn. I think that says a lot about their team. The defense was night and day compared to what we saw just a couple weeks ago. I think that says a lot about Rick Pitino and the strides they're taking. They're going to be really competitive, I think, in almost every game. I was – I think, again, the Xavier game says more about where St. John's is at right now than the UConn loss. Or they both do, but um, this is all positive for St. John's. I was baffled 
that they did not go more to Joel Soriano and just regular high lows, regular post-up opportunities. He was so much bigger than Samson Johnson, so much more polished than Yusuf Singer. I was I could not figure it out. I mean, the guy scored, I think, four points in the first half. I mean, this is if you had um asked me before, I would have said this could have been a 30-20 game for Soriano um against those players. And I just I felt like they stayed in their offense so much. They didn't they didn't make their game plan to be against UConn. They said, well, we just do what we do and you know, things will figure itself out. Where I thought if they forced the ball more to Soriano, especially you get Samson in a little more foul trouble, I mean that game could have gotten away from UConn pretty quickly. I I just would have liked to see them realize that that's a mismatch, go at that mismatch and be like, all right, we're just going to go to that well until it runs dry. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said, but my takeaway is they didn't do that, and it was still a really close game. Uh, their zone defense was great. They threw zone against Xavier. That confused them. I, you know, hold on. I want to ask you. Rick Patino doesn't play zone for almost the entire non-conference. The first two games of the Big East, he throws out a ton of zone. Is that a little gamesmanship from the old master? Oh, of course. He he was like, yeah, we're not going to do anything. You know, we're not going to give away our hand. And I would bet in a week from now when they play Hofstra that he says, you know, we're going to go back to not running a zone. And then we might run a zone or we might. Yeah. Um, I do. I wanted to give Naeem Alina a huge shout out. Um, he had a tough game against UConn. I think that's hard when you come back to the place you transferred from. But I think he's really established himself as a starter on that, you know, on that team right now. Um, they've kind of moved Dingle more to the bench role, which is very surprising to me. And I wanted to give Alina a shout out because when he transferred from UConn, we all kind of were like, huh, that doesn't make sense. Like, especially as St. John's brought in more and more players. Um, but the kid works hard and carved out a role for himself. Um where I didn't see it necessarily. I feel like there was no way Dingle would lose his job. And Naeem Alin has inserted himself right into that starting lineup. And I think he brings the defensive intensity. He can knock down the three, and he can hit the mid-range. Tyler doing five full minutes on your St. John's Johnnies, but I, I do agree. Naeem Alin has been great. Um, and that leaves two teams. Yep. For the least Santa, I'm going to go – well, for the second least – I'm going to go Sean Miller and your Xavier Musketeers. They went 1-1 this week. They defend home court against Seton Hall, and they lost to St. John's at St. John's. They really struggled at St. John's, and we saw some of kind of the problems. And then at Seton Hall, they exposed a bad defensive game, and Quincy Oliveri is just I – mean, he's as good of a scorer as there is in the Big East this year. Yeah, as good as advertised. Um, I agree. Um, listen, what this team, you know, their flaws, they're, they're offensive. Um, they don't have a ton of shooting and they don't have a ton of size. And I think, you know, they're going to struggle with that. And I think Seton Hall, when they don't have a score, like, uh, St. John's does inside, I think that benefits them for a matchup. Um, but Quincy Oliveri has the opportunity at any given time to take over a game, score 30 points and, you know, win the Xavier team is going to be tough. They're well coached, but I think even Miller would say that this team is, you know, not near the ceiling of what last year's team was. Yeah, I think this season's all about getting the international players up to speed. Djokovic and uh, Nemeshka, who can be back next year. You have Fremantle and Hunter hopefully coming back to play another season. 
and you've got you know some freshman guards. So we'll see if Claude. Desmond, Claude wants to come back again. And then you might be really gearing up towards next season. They probably played themselves off the bubble this year, but they're going to look to ruin some resumes, especially at Cintas. Is an excellent home court advantage. And uh, nobody's going to want to go play there, especially considering that, you know, Xavier's probably going to be Q2 for most of the season. And, you know, if you're a top team, if you're a bubble team, you don't want to drop that game, but it's going to be really hard. Yeah. Hey, if, if they want to continue to ruin some resumes, I think you just need some consistency from the three-headed monster in the backcourt. Claude McKnight and Oliveri, you need to probably get 80% of your scoring from those three. Um, ridiculous ask, I know, but like you, you need Claude can't have the game that he had against um Seton Hall routinely. I think I believe against Seton Hall, he only scored um four points. I mean, you're not going to win. Desmond Claude is probably your one of your best players coming into this season. You need him to be consistent with his scoring. Um, and then in the St. John's game, I mean, if you're talking about the between the three-headed monster, McKnight only gives you eight points. So I think you need more consistency, all three of them in double digits every game, um, or else you're going to really struggle in the Big East. And they're really going to struggle against size. Uh, you know, Abu is a <laughs> very physical, but he only gets five fouls. If he got 10, I'd be really worried about him, um, but he only gets five. Yeah, I mean, it's either you get double digits from everybody or you get somebody with a 25-point performance from that backcourt. That's pretty much your path to winning if you're the Xavier Musketeers right now. All right, right. Last coach that I think is not as – I think he's holly and jolly, but I, I think the whole time he's, like, talking in slang that I don't understand, like EKBs, EJBs, <laughs> and um, deflections. And I'm like, dude, I just want, you know – just wanted you to come entertain the kids for a few hours. The Marquette Golden Eagles and Shaka Smart. One of the weirdest weeks. I think they would be pretty pissed off going into Christmas break um, because they went one and one this week with a lopsided performance against Providence where they lost bad at the amp. And then a lopsided performance against Georgetown where they won massive at Pfizer. Right. Which one of these performances says more about the Marquette Golden Eagles, or are they somewhere in between? No, it's the first one. It has to be the first one because the first one was an elite game. It was a top-level game, you know, on the road in one of the best home environments in college basketball against a really good defensive team. That's what they want to be playing. Beating Georgetown, that's not impressive for them at this point, right? They are talking about NCAA tournament, Big East tournament champions, and, and they want to go to the Final Four. They need to win games like they lost to Providence. They're going to play that level of team to get to uh, achieve their goals. Quick positives. Kyle Kolick was excellent in that game. He made a lot of tough shots. He still had like 17 points. He was competitive throughout. Quick negatives, pretty much everybody else. Yeah. One of the things that I was really interested in is I thought the Adoro Oso matchup was going to be fantastic because I kind of think of them in the same breath. They're both kind of uh, centers who can take the ball and, um, you know, Oso is obviously the biggest, you know, I, I'm trying to think of the word here that I'm like, he's the biggest X factor, biggest unicorn in the big East for a center. But I, you know, I thought, I think of him and Adoro in similar veins and Oso didn't look good at all against Adoro and, um, David Joplin continued to struggle, but then David Joplin comes out against Georgetown and he plays really well. 
So did David Joplin figure out and that was a get right game for him? Or are they going to still struggle against that uh, a defense that's more physical? You know, they don't have one of the things about Marquette is they play really well together, their cohesiveness. And I think kind of like UConn, they're very skilled. And when you bump them around, they're not massive athletes. Like they are amazing athletes, but they're not physically strong enough where if you're bumping them around and bumping around and bumping around, they're not going to be able to always, you know, respond well to that. And I think kind of that's what Providence did. Being able to put Devin Carter on Tyler Kolick is ridiculous. I mean, that's, you know, the, his ability to do that and guard the one position. I mean, yeah, obviously. I think a, a lot of the Marquette guys had uncharacteristic turnovers that really come back to that, you know, the physical nature of the play in that game. If this was a non-conference game, there's a lot more fouls called and there's a lot more freedom of movement. And Marquette would have, you know, probably scored some more points. I don't know if it would have been enough to make the difference, but this was a Big East officiated game. They allowed him to bump and, and uh, you know, Marquette got the were worse for wear on that overall. Also hurt to lose Chase Ross, who was having a really nice game up to that point. Yeah, I, um, I, I do think, though, that you – hit it on the head that Marquette is pissed off um, because they want to be in these games and they're, they're not interested in playing, you know, they're, they want, they need to beat Georgetown. They know it. It's about a process, but I think that they're going into break pissed off and want to work harder um, to get some wins. All right, Ty, that's 10 teams. That just leaves one team left. And we have a very special guest for Big East fans. Stick around after this short break to see who it is. We want to give a little shout out to our favorite sponsor and the sponsor of the episode, Diamore Designs. Diamore Designs is a family-run company that creates apparel, custom apparel for all of your needs. Um, they kind of got their start making apparel for rec sports teams and you know softball teams, intramural teams. Um, but now they really do it for anything that you could need. So if you want any custom apparel, go to Diamore Designs. Tyler, you got the website? Yeah, diamoredesigns.com. Um, uh, square.site. If you just Google DMOR designs, it's going to come up. Um, help them out. They're really helping us out, getting us to do a few cool things. Help them out, look cool while doing it. All right. We are again joined by Ticket Gains coming off a heck of a win, probably one of the best wins in the Big East this season as the Big East begins to cannibalize itself. Um, you guys face Marquette at home. At the dunk, out of the amp, or whatever we're calling it, and I mean, you've thoroughly beat them. I mean, I want to just talk about you go into that game and Marquette is favored. Do you guys look at that? Do you take it personally, or do you just want to, you know, come out there and you stick to your game plan? Um, uh, definitely stick to our game plan. Um, uh, to be honest, uh, we, we we don't really look at the who's favored, who's percentage to win, things like that. Um. Uh, we kind of have the same process for each game. Uh, we have game goes before each game, and uh, those doesn't those don't change for no matter who the opponent we play. You know, we feel like those are the things that we need to accomplish to win to win games like that. And uh, but we knew they were number six in the country. It's a big it's a big hype around the game. First first Big East uh, conference game of the season for us, and uh, uh, it means a lot to uh, to have that first game at home uh, going out. At the like four minute mark before the game, seeing the crowd, uh, seeing the energy in the room in the, in the in the arena before the game even starts, uh, really helped us, really motivate us because uh, uh, the amp is a is a great place to play, and then 
for people coming in. It's a tough place to play. Um, so I was, we was very appreciative of the people who came and brought the energy. But uh, playing against Marquette, getting that first game uh, against a team of that stature, of that, of that, uh, being ranked uh, top ten uh, really helped us uh, get get motivated and uh, get ready for the game. Uh, but far as the other things, we didn't pay attention to the outside noise, but we knew we knew what type of game it was going to be. Can you give us some uh, quick notes on what the conversations around this Marquette team were like going up into this game? What were the focuses? Uh, we knew they're we knew they're a tough team. Uh, we knew we, I've I've seen a couple of Marquette games before playing them. Uh, we knew we were gonna come in. We we're gonna gonna be tough. Uh, Kyle Collab was gonna make plays. Cam Jones. Uh, those guys are 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 their leaders on that on that on that side. Uh, with Marquette. Uh, we knew if we. We limited them uh, to what we wanted them to do. Uh, we had we had a great shot at winning, uh, and that just goes to Coach English preaching the process. Uh, we go through a process um, for forty minutes, uh, try to stack possessions at a time. Uh, we work on getting uh, multiple stops, and that we want that to be our driving force of our team uh, on the defensive end. Uh, I think we did a great job to start. We started off a little sluggish. I think we started off nine to four by the first media, and uh, we kind of just sat down, looked at each other, said, "Let's settle in." Uh, we missed some easy shots. Uh, I missed two shots in a row that I thought should have went down. Um, but we were down five at the first media, and uh, no, no one, no one, no one was, no one was shook. No one was like rattled. Uh, we just had to settle in, kind of look at each other. All right, let's go. Let's get it going. Let's keep guarding. Um, and but defense was our driving force. We knew we had to. We had a tough opponent coming in. Uh, they weren't going to back down. And uh, if we could limit Cam Jones, Ty Kolak, uh, and have them play on our terms, uh, like we want any. Any team's best player to do, uh, make shots on our terms. Uh, uh, we knew we'd have a chance. And speaking of your defensive effort, and you just talked about Tyler Kolick a little bit, how impressed are you with Devin Carter's defense on Tyler Kolick that game, his offensive game's taking a step forward? This seemed like a Devin Carter, you guys have seen it, but like a coming out party to everybody else. So like this guy is going to be in contention for Big East Player of the Year, it looks like. Oh, uh, yeah, Devin, Devin brings a, a multiple things to our team. Uh, and it's things that you that you don't get from from just out of the ordinary. I think he's worked on his game a lot. Uh, I've seen a couple of games with him last year, things like that. He averaged thirteen points, but uh, just seeing him when I when I got to Providence, uh, I knew he was going to be a great impact player for us. And uh, I I remember one practice, I was just watching him guard from a full court, and I just kind of looked at someone like like wow, like he's like flying, like he's like he moves so fast and. Uh, and I think that's why we work so well defensively. Uh, cause we have a lot of guys that's versatile uh, that could do a lot of things on the floor. And uh, just being on the floor with him, I feel I feel a lot confident in my defense, uh, being able to switch and uh, play on perimeter and things like that, uh, because the grit that he brings to our team. And uh, and he's definitely definitely the heart and soul of our defense. Uh, he's he's guarding one through four, sometimes one through five. And uh, offensively, like you say, he's getting it going. He he's very confident. Um, I see him every day. He's he's worked on his game every day. So it's no surprise to me, uh, like you said, to his success he's having on the offensive end because of the work that he puts in. Uh but defensively, he's always gonna be that guy who who's gonna he wants to guard the best player. He's gonna guard the best player, uh, along with myself, uh switching on and off if we have to, things like that. But watching him guard uh is a thing of beauty because the way he guards, uh he's so fast, he's, he could do it in the a lot of different ways. He can use strength. He can use speed, athleticism. Uh, he jumps out the gym. So I think a lot of things that he brings to our team uh, is not going for granted. We notice it, and uh, we appreciate having having him on our side uh, rather than having him on the opposing side. 
Tiggy, you talked about his defensive versatility. How about your defensive versatility? When Carter goes out, you're the guy that's taking Tyler Kolick. And then I'm seeing possessions where you're guarding the five. Um, what were those conversations like going into the game? And have you played the five before? Uh, so me personally, uh, I, I, I feel like I can guard a one through five. And I, I have played the five in a, uh, a lot of times. I had George Mason. Um uh, most notable, I, I think I played. I played the five at Can. We played at Kansas in twenty two seasons ago. Uh, so I was guarding McCormack and Willie Lightfoot and things like that. And played Nevada. I guard the five. Played South Dakota State. Things like that. So where where I get my defensive presence from is just when I first got to college. It was something I needed. To, I, I was looking for something to get me on the floor. And I always guarded. I was guarding high school, but uh, high school and college are two different things. Uh, and uh kind of look for my niche on that Tennessee team that I was on. Uh, and I think defense was, was what uh, I went with. Um, so just watching film of defensive players and just watching how I defended um, was something that I just took heed of and uh, learned uh, throughout my years of college. And uh, it kind of made me a more versatile defender, having those reps, play, uh, guarding a point guard, guarding a shooting guard, might guard a bigger wing. Then I got to go guard a 6'10", to whatever, like so, things like that. Uh, being getting those reps, uh, in practice, but also, uh, Coach English trusting me to get those reps in the game, uh, really helped me become a, a versatile defender. And uh, always been a perimeter defender, but get, I'm just saying, getting those reps as, as a big, as a five, as a four, uh, really helps me. And uh, like I said, uh, my teammates give me confidence. Uh, the way our defense set up, we help each other out. Uh, but we like to guard our yard. Uh, one on one defense, take pride in that. Uh. I feel like as a team, uh, we got that that mindset to do that. And uh, being on the court with uh, versatile defenders like Corey Floyd, like Jaden Pierre, Bryce Hopkins, Devin Carter, uh, Josh Rodoro, uh, as a unit, we rotating guys. Like you said, Devin goes out, uh, next man up to guard the next best player, uh, things like that. So if it, having those type of guys who wants to guard and who can guard is a luxury for us because uh, like it's not just one person, like you said. If someone goes out, next man up have to guard that player, and uh, and we have pride to do it, and uh, we want to do it. So I think that's a big leap uh for this team, uh, just keeping our defense uh first. And ticket, it's a testament to that defense that you guys were talked this much, and you didn't. We haven't even brought up that you scored eighteen points on five of ten shooting from three. I mean, how how much fun was it to play in front of that crowd at the amp, jumping? How much confidence does that give you guys? Because it looks like you guys are playing six on five when you're at the amp. Uh, it definitely gives us confidence. Like I said, it's like one of the best arenas to play in. Uh, definitely coming out and just seeing the energy before the game uh, really gets us pumped and things like that. But uh, I think I think it's just us sharing the ball. You know, like once we get once we get flowing offensively, I think we're a hard team to stop because we have so many weapons. Uh, we have guys who can shoot the ball really well on the outside, and if you stay with the shooters, then we have guys like Bryce Hopkins who can get in lane, Joshua Doyle get in lane, Devin Carter get in lane, Gary Duall. Like, it's a lot of things that that we can do as a unit that uh, really hurts other teams. And um, I think it's kind of a pick your poison situation where if you're laying out on the shooters, you're leaving the paint open there. If you're packing the paint, then we have some guys that if they're if they're if they're hitting, then it's going to be a long night. So I appreciate my teammates for their game for and things like that because uh without them I wouldn't be able to get those shots without Bryce driving without Devin driving Joshua Duro down low uh calling so much attention um and willing being willing passers to kick out to 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 guys like me who who who's on the perimeter uh ready to shoot and things like that 
But I think I, I think all our game complements each other because it's so much we all can do. Uh, for the versatility of the team and uh, players individually, it would bring it's what brings it all together for us offensively. Uh, we have a lot of guys that could do a lot of different things, and uh, and we put that all together on the court uh, match with our our defense. It really it really helps a lot. Tiggy, is there one play that stands out to you as a a game shifting play, and would you walk us through it? Um. I've got one picked. If you can't think of one, I want to put you on the spot. Uh, I'll definitely say. Um, I think it was a point in game where I'm. I'm normally pretty good at this, uh, remembering plays. But I think it was forty-one. I think we're up. I think we're up nine. Uh, Devin Carter came down, hit a three, and um, then Garway had that pass to Bryce, which put the lead at eleven or twelve. And I think that was a big moment in the game. Uh, because we went on that seven-zero run. I know Devin hit two threes. And then Garway hit that pass behind the back pass to Bryce, uh, which put us up twelve or thirteen or something like that. And uh, I think that was the where where we really uh, took control of the game, um, things like that. Uh, I don't know if that matched up with your with your say sequence, but well, I, I think that was a big. I was gonna give you some credit. How about the play where Carter <laughs> drives the lane, makes a skip pass from under the hoop, and you hit the? Oh court. yeah, that's, that was a big yeah. yeah, yeah. I, was, I think that was a big three too. I think that put twelve. I don't know if they ever got it back to single digits after that. Yeah, I, th I think I think we took control and late in that second half, uh, with the, with our discipline on defense and uh, us sharing the ball on offense, uh, not caring who scored at that moment, um, just just really piling it on on offensively and then also getting stops. So it was really what helped us. But yeah, I think that was a big three. I remember that drive baseline kick to the corner. All right, thank you, Ticket, for coming on to talk about the Marquette game. But Ryan and I recorded this before the Butler game, and I think there's a little more conversation to be had about the Providence Friars and how they played um, against the Bulldogs um, in one of the most entertaining games of the Big East. And our friend who we just had on the podcast, Ticket Gaines, hits the biggest shot of the Big East so far. Yeah, well, uh, it's really cool that we got to interview Ticket right before his – moment in the sun right now after hitting that shot he was tremendous throughout this game both offensively and defensively he's been tremendous defensively consistently and if he can shoot the ball like he did against Butler he is going to be potentially an honorable mention on some all Big East team um but yeah great game fantastic game one of the best games of the Big East season Devin Carter Josh Aduro, Ticket Gaines, even Bryce Hopkins contributed defensively a lot, although he continues to struggle offensively. This Friars team is so much fun to watch, especially when they're at the dunk. It's like it's must-watch TV. Yeah, I thought Hopkins started the game really well, um, and then he got kind of fell in love with his three. Um, he's got to be going to the rim, finishing through contact. That's his future. Um, right now, Devin Carter continues to be wildly impressive. Um, that guy is putting his name in every defensive player, player of the year conversation. Jaden Pierre shot the ball well, took a gains. Um, the only negatives and concerns I have um, are, you know, possibly the de defensive intensity. Without students on campus, it almost seemed like the intensity was uh, was different um, at certain points in this game, especially after they went on that 15-0 run to start it. It was like, oh, okay, we won this game. And then I was like, oh, shit. Butler's right here, and we can't get that intensity back. Um, but Butler's really good. I, I give Providence a lot of credit. This is a really good win. Couple that with Marquette. We should see Providence ranked this week. 
And you do wonder how that then translates to when they're playing away from the dunk, what the defense will be like, because if they're getting so much of the energy from the students, well, they won't get any of that when they're away. That's uh, been the problem. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. It is interesting to see that that hasn't changed at all under the new coach, right? Ed Cooley, Kim English, doesn't matter. Providence is on fire, and the Friars respond to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's nothing but a fantastic week for Providence, and that's why they're our team of the week. I will say, though, if that if Butler fouls up three there, uh, conversations are different. If Ticket doesn't get a chance to knock that big three down, they foul up three, and let's say Butler gets away with a win there. I mean, we're talking about a one-in-one one week. Still the best win. I'll say that. Still the best win against Marquette. It's just so basketball so fickle that that one little decision by Thad ends up uh, making Providence our team of the week. Colin Gillespie says, don't foul up three. Well, he says Villanova did, but he doesn't like it. He thinks people shouldn't foul up three. But, yeah, interesting decision. They played out how it played out, and it gave Ticket the chance to make a really cool shot. Anyhow, that wraps up week seven of the Big East Barroom. Tyler, any quick parting words? Uh, we have a week off of basketball. Um, I don't know if there's any point in us recording next week if we have a week off. We'll see where the chips fall. Maybe we could do a whole mailbag segment after the Christmas. Everyone have a happy holiday, a joyous new year, and we will see you back in 2024 at the Barroom. Yes, sir. Hey, Merry Christmas to all you guys. Thank you for listening. Peace out.